what difference does the UN make? And I think that's a very important question. And I think that's a question we as ambassadors need to ask ourselves over and over again. And of course, the standard answer would be, and it's true, of course, the big challenges of our time we can only tackle together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this new episode of our podcast, The Next Page. We are recording today an episode of our Ambassador Series, and the series hosts permanent representatives of UN member states for conversations about the role of their countries, the countries they represent to the UN, in the United Nations and also in the world. And today, I am very happy to have with me Dr. Katharina Stasch, who is ambassador and permanent representative of Germany to the UN here in Geneva. It's also sort of a special episode because in 2023, we celebrate or Germany celebrates 50 years of membership in the UN because they were admitted to the UN in 1973. We'll hear more about this interesting episode in the history of, of international relations from you, Ambassador. First of all, big welcome to our podcast. Thank you for taking the time. And Dr. Stash, your Ambassador, your permanent representative, you have brilliant achievements both as a scholar and as a diplomat. So first of all, I would like to invite you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you came to diplomacy and to became the permanent representative of your country to the UN in Geneva. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a great pleasure to be here and talk with you. How did I become a diplomat? Well, I studied and lived uh, in my young years in Aix-en-Provence, in London, uh, in Hamburg, and also in Namibia. And actually, I really liked studying at, uh, in London at SOAS. Uh, I took uh, one year of Islamic law inter alia, and that was uh, really a great revelation. Um, I studied law and legal anthropology, uh, anthropology throughout my studies. And at some point, actually, I did an internship here in Geneva at UNHCR. It must have been 1996. I was 23 years old. And they put me into the Human Rights Liaison Office. So I spent a summer um, going to the treaty bodies, the human rights treaty bodies, and um, I had a great summer. But at the end of the summer, I thought, okay, is this it? Is there maybe more to what holds the world together than the UN in Geneva? So um, I wanted to understand more. I wanted to understand about the power struggles. And uh, I, what I did, I went into finance. I, I went into uh, the power. I wanted to understand the power of money. So I uh, went back to Hamburg. I wrote my PhD on uh, banking crisis, on finance. And I started my career, in fact, in the Ministry of Finance as a civil servant in the middle of the financial crisis. So that was really important to, to, to understand also these huge um, power struggles. And later on, I transferred to the Ministry of Justice. So you could say the rule of law. And eventually I was asked to become chief of staff, head of minister's office uh, for the foreign ministers. So I went to the foreign office back home in, in Germany. And that's how I became a diplomat. And it's very, in a way, it's really great that 25, 27 years after my um, internship here in Geneva, 
I'm now the German ambassador, and I was honored to serve as a vice president of the Human Rights Council last year, and now I'm on the board of UNHCR and so on. So really, in a way, things um, come together. And it really helped me also to understand, uh, yes, the, the world of human rights, the rule of law, but also, well, as I said before, um, the impact of money, the impact, of course, of the forces of security, of war and peace. So, in a way, everything comes together here in Geneva. And we're very happy to have you back in Geneva. This is an amazing story. I, I, I didn't know that you were an intern uh, the first time you sort of set foot in international, in international Geneva. In this episode, we want to disclose to our audience a little bit of uh, the history, the trajectory of Germany in the international system and in the UN in particular, both as an organization, as a system. But let's start a little bit um, perhaps from a historical approach, because as I mentioned before, um, and I'll leave it to you to, to go into details, Germany has a unique history uh, regarding the UN for many, many reasons. But the most curious one is that when Germany was admitted to the UN, there were two Germanys, and a lot of young people in our audience may just simply you know, not know that. So, yeah, the history of Germany's adhesion in itself to, to the UN is quite interesting. So let's go into that, a little bit of an overview of, of, uh, of, uh, with a historical flavor. Yes, indeed, this year is, it's... 50 years that Germany has joined the United Nations. So it, in a way, it's our birthday. And I think it's really worth to remember when celebrating that birthday, it's worth to remember why the UN has been founded in the first place. And uh, it's interesting to discover that the history of the United Nations and the dark sides of German history are very closely intertwined. So... Why has the UN been founded? It's been founded rightly after World War II. And in fact, the day we record this podcast today marks one anniversary of the signature of the Charter of the U United Nations, um, the 26th of uh, June 1945. And the foundation was a direct consequence of World War II. By the way, also, the foundation of the League of Nations was also a direct consequence of a war that has been started by Germany. And uh, the, the Treaty of Versailles contained, in fact, the founding documents of the League of Nations in 1919. And when you actually look at uh, the charter, the UN charter, it's enshrined in the very first sentences of that charter, and I think it's worth to, to read it out. And it says, We, the peoples of the United Nations, determined, and now it comes, to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind. And then it continues to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights, in the dignity and worth of human persons. And um, I think this directly refers to both world wars, which have been the responsibility of Germany. So 
I think this already makes you very humble uh, that a couple of years later the United Nations welcomed Germany back and welcomed Germany to join the United Nations. And this is by no means something given. And also looking back at history, I think it's worth to see and to, to remember that only countries that have been declared war to, war to Nazi Germany and have signed the declaration of the United Nations were actually uh, allowed to be founding members of the United Nations. And it's also worth remembering that in the charter of the UN, Germany is considered to be and was a so-called enemy state. And that's enshrined in Article 58.2 and I think in Article 107. And it only in the 1990s, these two articles have been considered to be irrelevant anymore. So one can see that the history of Nazi Germany and the history of and the foundation of the United Nations are very closely, very closely linked. So why, why did Germany join the United Nations in 1973? I think, obviously, Germany by then has gone a very long way. And when thinking back, I thought it's also worth to remember how the world looked like in 1973. So 1973, we were in the middle of the Cold War. Europe was divided into East and West by the so-called Iron Curtain. Germany was divided uh, into two states, and by no means the relationship between the two states was clear yet. Also, maybe bit more difficult to remember, but 1973 marks the year of the first oil crisis. And um, so in that environment, we have these two German states asking to join uh, the United Nations. And when I said Germany has come a long way, yes, um, that's true, and you can also read it in documents. For instance, we had the so-called Grundlagenvertrag between the two German states just in the previous year, in 1972, in which Germany and both Germanys actually, they very clearly referred to the Charter of the United Nations and vowed uh, that it will adhere to the objectives and principles of the United Nations. Also, it was clear, and uh, both Germanys put it down in that Grundlagenvertrag, in that basic treaty, that any disputes will be settled by peaceful means. And that is also in the spirit, of course, of uh, the United Nations. And then one peculiarity um, is that for a very long time, there had been two German states, but they were competing in the international sphere who would be the one legitimately representing Germany. So that was also an impediment to actually joining the United Nations. And in particular, West Germany was of the opinion that they were the only um, rightful German state. And this was called the Alleinvertretungsanspruch. And with this Grundlagenvertrag, the two states actually uh, found a solution to that question. And that was also one of the reasons why uh, Germany, the two Germanys, actually could join the United Nations. 
So to sum up, in a way, one could say it was it was a very great gesture of the United Nations, of all the members of the United Nations, to welcome Germany to the United Nations, both Germanys. And, and at the same time, it created a huge responsibility, of course, for Germany to really live up um, to the standards and to the objectives of the United Nations, peace, human rights, and also respect. And that is also already in the Charter for, for the environment for our surroundings. What an amazing story and how strong is that link between you know the, the the balance of the responsibilities the cause and effects but also as you pointed out this way of joining the UN by Germany that remains still today a unique way uh, and 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 we'll talk more about that in in this podcast when we'll we'll really see how Germany projects itself. What is the work of Germany in the UN? But before we get there, Dr. Sash, I wanted to give our audience the opportunity, since we have you here in the studio, to hear from you, the scholar and diplomat, about Germany in its own region and also in the world. Of course, there are many, many facets to international relations and foreign policy that are not only limited to what we do multilaterally. So, a state, a member state of the UN also exists in its own region and in the world. Would you like to give us a little bit of uh, commentary there, uh, the place of Germany in Europe today, and also, you know, in a way, what is the place of Germany in the world? What does the member state Germany brings to the rest of humanity today? Well, first of all, the basis of many, many things we do is that we don't forget our history. So there are many lessons drawn from our history. And that is exactly why Germany and the United Germany, reunified Germany, strongly believes in a rules-based order. It strongly believes in multilateralism. And even at times when multilateralism was under heavy attack, and we don't need to go back very far in history, uh, I remember well the Trump years, um, in the years of the very strong white man, we always upheld the principle of multilateralism. And that is true when it comes to our place in Europe, but that is also true when it comes to our place in the world. In Europe, I think the very obvious example is the European Union. We do believe that um, we have found a very good structure for Europe, uh, which well, it's also a direct consequence out of the two world wars. It is a consequence that we learned in a very painful way that uh, nationalism does not lead to any good. We overcame that nationalism. We even transferred some of our sovereign rights to the European Union. And we find that this is a success story. Uh, Europe is, is prosperous when it comes to economics, Europe, core Europe, has been living in peace for many, many years. And uh, this is 
what we believe is is the way to move forward. And that is also true when it comes to our place in the world. So what we do is we always look for alliances, uh, cooperation, integration. We listen to small partners. And we do always try to get the best out of multilateralism. Let's go to Germany in the United Nations now, both as an organization as a system. You pointed out Germany has joined in 73. So a little bit later than the others, the founding members, but by no means it was a slow pupil in the classroom because Germany, when you look at uh, its profile as a multilateralist country, is member of many, many organizations, have been presiding the UN Security Council twice, in 2011 and in 2019. So, in a way, you caught up very fast, very rapidly, uh, during these 50 years, and you have a very rich multilateral profile. I wanted to ask you, what assessment can we make today of Germany's journey in the UN all along these 50 years? Yes, in fact, um, we've been in the Security Council far more often than twice. Um, several times, yes, but the Security Council is important, but it's only one part of, of our engagement in, in the United Nations. And I think there, there are several areas which I, which I would like to highlight. First, um, we've always been and we will continue to be a very great contributor when it comes to finance. So I looked up the numbers and it's quite striking because last year, 2022, uh, we spent almost 7 billion uh, on voluntary but also regular contributions to the UN system. And I think this is a large number. Um, needless to say that we are in most organizations the second largest donor. And that's in particular true for the humanitarian organizations. And, uh, well, maybe to quote some more numbers when it comes to finance, Last year, we gave 3.5 billion on humanitarian aid and 27.3 billion on development aid. And this, I mean, these are numbers, but it shows the responsibility we take. It shows that we really believe that you, the UN is doing a very important job. And instead of channeling the money bilaterally, as other countries do, we channel the money into the multilateral system. And this also shows that we have a lot of trust uh, in the UN and that the UN is doing its job really well. Secondly, we've been engaging in many, many organizations. Uh, our diplomats, but not only the diplomats, uh, many, many people, bringing our ideas, our um, dedication, our engagement to the UN. And also worth mentioning probably not many people know, but uh, Germany is also an important um, place, a host country for UN agencies uh, in Bonn, for instance, but not only, not only in Bonn. So there are many areas where, where we're actually engaging, and this will, continue, this will continue to be the case, and maybe later on we can talk about some concrete examples. Absolutely, uh, with, with pleasure. My second point for this conversation on, on the trajectory of, of Germany in the UN was about these big challenges that have emerged 
for before the international system in in the in the past decades. This is very different from what the founders of the the organizations were facing and you mentioned it this fear of a possible third world conflagration we're here looking at climate change a, migrat- a migration crisis a, a rising crisis of inequalities these are different but by no means they're less strong uh, uh, threats for 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 humankind and also for the planet so i wanted to hear from the permanent representative how you look at it how you look at as a member state of the UN these you know global challenges facing multilateralism as well as a as a set of values Uh, today yes you are right uh, challenges are, are different uh, to what are the founding fathers and mothers uh, could envisage but at the same time i found it also striking that many challenges of the time still remain or were already there in its root causes for instance i looked up um, the speech of our then chancellor willy brandt Uh, from the year um, when we joined the United Nations in 1973, and it's all there. It's striking. It's about peace. It's about disarmament. It's about human rights. It's about living in dignity, which directly gives a link uh, to humanitarian. And it's even already about the environment. And this is also understandable when we remember that 1973 was the year of the first oil crisis. So it was already all there, and probably I could quote some um, of that speech and nobody would really realize that it was done in 1973. But it's also true, of course, we have new challenges for the United Nations, but also worldwide. And let me, let me highlight two, two points. And the first is uh, the challenge for the rule of law. And I think this became very clear with the, with the Russian aggression against Ukraine. So that was a P5 country blatantly violating core principle of the Charter. And this, of course, came as a shock. Um, now, people might ask, okay, so what, what is the significance of the Charter anymore? Is it void now? And I would answer on the contrary. Why is that? I think the answer is we need to defend the Charter. And let me give you an example out of our national law. We have in our national law a law stipulating um, that murder, of course, is prohibited. But still there are people murdering other people. So is the consequence that um, we don't need that law anymore. No, it's not. On the contrary, we need to reinforce that law. We need to say again it's important to obey that law. And that's exactly what we did after the Russian aggression. In the General Assembly, but also here in the Human Rights Council, we had numerous states condemning the aggression. And we had... I think 140 states even calling upon Russia to immediately end that war. So that's a reinforcement of the Charter. So that's the first challenge I, I wanted to refer to. Second challenge is that here in Geneva and in our daily life, but also elsewhere, 
in particular countries of the global south, ask us, so what does the UN do for us? What is in there for us? And in fact, that's a very similar question we are asked back home from our taxpayers. And I was referring to the amounts we give to the UN. They also want to know, so why? What, what are you doing with that money? But coming back to the countries of the, of the so global south, so what difference does the UN make? And I think that's a very important question. And I think that's a question we as ambassadors need to ask ourselves over and over again. And of course the standard answer would be, and it's true of course, the big challenges of our time we can only tackle together. Climate change, migration, but also others. But I think we need to look deeper. We really need to look what does it mean concretely. And here I think one can really explain really well that in particular the organizations here in Geneva, they do make a difference. And to, 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 to say it very concretely, now here we have our mobile phones on the table. Uh, they operate with 5G standard and who did the standards? It was ITU. Now we probably know we don't have food on the table, but if we had food, um, very clearly the trade regulations would have enabled that food to come here to our table. That's WTO. Now we probably all got vaccines against the COVID. That's thanks to WHO. And I could continue that list. Decent working conditions thanks to ILO. So already one can say very concretely that's the UN organization, specialized agencies who actually helped to achieve that. And I think that's a very important story and we need to talk about that. What, what difference does the UN system, what difference does the UN make for the daily life of the people on the ground? And now... Well, what, what does it mean concretely for us here in Geneva? You mentioned climate change, you mentioned migration, and I would add the pandemic. So currently we are negotiating uh, the pandemic treaty. So no one knows whether we succeed, but certainly we strive to, to succeed. Why? This is because we saw that the pandemic is worldwide. It's not one single country that can solve it. It's only by working together we can actually try to uh, make it a bit less bad. And the lessons learned is something we want to enshrine and that's why we actually engage in, in that pandemic treaty. Just to give you one example. I think the pandemic treaty um, is an excellent example of how multilateralism functions in bringing countries together when they're facing something that affects everyone, even at different scale, if one, if one considers other aspects, societal and economical, but that no one can solve alone. So in that, I think, resides really the power of multilateralism. And this is what we keep hearing uh, from our uh, invited experts here. Whether they're diplomats or professors or scholars, they all seem to point to this, you know, strength of multilateralism that will never go away. You know, when things go bad, we need to get together. So that is a, quite a, a key principle. But I was wondering, um, as, as a, again, as a permanent representative of a member state, 
I was wondering, so what's, what's really important, being member states in terms of supporting multilateralism, how should countries make themselves useful to multilateralism? And since this podcast is mostly about multilateralism, I think it's a good opportunity to sound you off on this one. You mentioned how Germany believes in certain things, how Germany you know, pays important amounts of money through multilateral channels uh, to make some things better. But you know, in general, what is important as member states, as, as behaviors in terms of making multilateralism stronger or at least not weaker at times of need like wars? like, of course, pandemics, but there are many other things. You mentioned human rights, for example, which is an immense, uh, you know, um, field of work in, in our, on our planet today. Yes, indeed, and it's, it's, it's cumbersome. It's, uh, no one says it's easy. And multilateralism is about negotiating, is about also compromising. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I actually spent my weekend uh, negotiating the ILO budget. And there was a bunch of ambassadors, I think it was nine or ten from all regions. And I think it took us 20 hours locked in rooms. And we negotiated and we came from very, very different sides. And we had many, many red lines. But in the end, what was decisive was um, that we did not want to destroy that organization, ILO. It was decisive that every side was uh, willing to compromise. In the end, we found a solution uh, where everybody had given something, but also gained something out of it. And that was very important, and although the negotiations, I can tell you, were extremely tough, we went out of that room I would even say we were still friends. Yeah, and that's important because, okay, we, we come from different sides. We do have different opinions how to solve uh, different, difficult questions. But what I always think is important, that we uh, create and keep the atmosphere of trust, of confidence. And because today we fight the next day we still need to work together, be it in ILO or be it in one of the other organizations here in Geneva. And I think that's the very core of multilateralism. Um, yeah. So maybe another example from a completely different area. It's about the fight for gender equality. And here, of course, my, my own government has recently pronounced that policy of foreign feminist um, policy. Whether you name it like that or whether you don't name it like that, what is important is what do we mean by that. It's about rights, it's about resources, and it's about representation. Now, if I was the only ambassador here in Geneva running around with these three um, points, I don't think I would come very far. But we have a little group of colleagues who actually also engage in that matter. And what we do, we, we regularly meet and we think of areas where we can actually make a difference uh, when it comes to the equality of men and women. And that can have very different formats. For instance, we do side events in the Human Rights Council looking at 
let's say, a particular challenge of our time, let's say climate change or food security, and then we put the gender aspect on top of it. And we ask, what does it mean? Um, what, is the, what is the consequence for women? Or where and how can women do a difference? So maybe that's the part of the rights. We also care about the resources. So whenever I have money, which I can spend freely, I look, is there any gender project I can put it into? And the same is true for many of my colleagues here. So together, uh, we do make a difference because we also push the organizations and we encourage the organizations to work in that respect. And the third part is very simple. That's about representation. Um, now, I mean, we all have to do our homework. I myself, I'm only the sixth female ambassadors of one of our big embassies in more than 150 years of German foreign um, office. But also here in Geneva and the international organizations, many things can be done uh, when it comes to the equal representation of men and women. So this group of um, ambassadors regularly meets with heads of agencies to, to ask them, what are you doing? Do you have any plans? Do you have career paths for women? And of course for men and uh, diversity aspects, um, how do you respect uh, certain needs and so on? And it really works, it's amazing. Uh, and they come back to us uh, justifying, showing us what they did and what they strive for. And that's really great to see how not one ambassador alone, but many ambassadors together, many governments backing these ambassadors can actually um, get things moving. And that for me is also true multilateralism. I think it's an excellent example. And thank you for these two examples you brought to the table of how, you know, how a country can make itself useful within the system and to the system. Ambassador Stash, as we, as we wrap up this episode... I would like to ask you if you have any special or important message that you would like to leave with our audience for them to remember and sort of uh, take away from this episode based on the journey that Germany uh, has had so far in the UN or the aspirations that Germany has for, for the UN or whatever else you think is important to you right now. Yes. Well, first of all, I always like to end with an encouraging tone. Because, of course, the challenges are huge. So maybe two in, in encouragements. So the first one is, and it really struck me when thinking about it, the UN really is a success story when you only look at my own country. And as I said in the beginning, the atrocities which stem from Nazi Germany were the very reason why the United Nations were founded. And now, so many years later, we have this country being in the middle of the United Nations, really striving to adhere to the core principles and to the objectives of the United Nations and really doing its best. So in a way, that's a success story in itself of the United Nations. And secondly, I was already referring to the speech of the then-Chancellor Willy Brandt, who is in our history a very famous chancellor because he first started that idea of 
slowly entering into some kind of reconciliation between uh, the two Germanys. And in his speech um, in New York, when we were joining the United Nations, he said, um, tension can be contagious, but so can reconciliation. What a wonderful quote to conclude our episode. Dr. Zaj, Ambassador and Primary Representative for Germany to the United Nations Office in Geneva. Thank you so much for taking the time for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you.